kids behind the bus time. From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. And I'm Lindsay. And today on the podcast, our interview with Claw Viper captain Kevin Milchowski. Kyle is out this week on a camping trip with his family. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. First up, catch Live Robot Combat this weekend in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, Washington State, and Australia. This is going to be a very, very packed weekend for Robot Combat. In Australia, the team behind Death Roll is hosting the 2023 Robo Wars Sportsman Cup with nearly a dozen 30-pound sportsman robots just outside of Brisbane. In Florida, the team behind Witch Doctor will be fighting Antweights and Beetleweights at Maker Fair Miami. In Pennsylvania, they'll be fighting Antweights and Beetleweights at the Pennsylvania College of Technology in Williamsport. However, the biggest event of the weekend will be held in Washington, where the team behind Warhawk will be hosting a tournament with fairyweights, antweights, beetleweights, 12-pounders, and 30-pound sportsman robots at the Hobby Expo event in Monroe, Washington. More than 90 bots are registered for this two-day event, so if you're in the Seattle area this weekend, don't miss this one. Check out details on these events and more at robotcombatevents.com. And finally, RoboGames is facing criticism from fans and builders this week around how they decided to handle their arena being breached during a heavyweight full combat match on Sunday. In a match between Terror Tops and a new drum spinner called Manta, Manta ripped a fork off Terror Tops and sent it straight into the arena's ceiling, where it punched through the roof and landed several feet from the audience. RoboGames responded by cutting their live feed and then initially claiming that the fork had simply slipped through a gap in the panels. Later, RoboGames event organizer Dave Calkins did what appeared to be a WWE-style sketch with Martin Mason, where Calkins screamed on camera that his arena was safe. In a separate fight later in the day, Manta ripped off a piece of malice, knocking a full sheet of Lexan onto the arena floor. Manta ultimately won the heavyweight trophy after their final opponent forfeited. On Discord and social media, builders and fans sharply criticized the decision to continue running heavyweight fights in an arena that had been fully breached earlier in the day. I was in the audience myself on Saturday and had a really lovely time seeing so many builders who really, frankly, deserve better arena safety and better event management. Uh, I uh, got to see the last the the, the last Robo Games, y'all. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in having you kind of unpack your entire experience at Robo Games. You know, we, we really wanted to make our way out there as well, but, uh, we have a fully stacked calendar for the year. Tell us a little bit about your experience. What things did you see? What things did you see that, uh, maybe were safe? What were, what were some things that were not safe? What was the overall, like, um, what was the overall mood in, in the pits and, and with the audience and had that change after a breach? Like this is so, yeah. uh, you know, this is not something that typically happens. Yeah. So I, I went on Saturday and the breach happened on Sunday. So I, I wasn't there for it, but, uh, it was clipped to high heaven. <laughs> I've seen about seven different angles of the breach. 
um, and kind of the related arena, like unsafe kind of things that happened after the breach, um, just like many of us super fans have seen it. Um, I, it was like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll say what was great about Robo Games. Um, Robo Games is massive. Like they rented out two full um, uh, exhibition halls at the Alameda County Fairgrounds in um, Silicon Valley. And uh, so there were easily over a thousand people who were there in the audience on Saturday um, between these two, these two halls. One hall was solely devoted to heavyweight combat uh, robots. And well, it's like they're big box. So like they're uh, 250s, they're 125s, they're, you know, 60 pounders, they're 30 pounders. Um, And they had bleacher seating. um, And it was super thrilling, you know, um, the cage is elevated. So, you know, you get this really great view into the cage. It's not like it's, uh, it's connected to the ground. Um, but there was like standing room only. Um, so we actually never got a seat because by the time that we showed up, everyone had already found seats. There were easily hundreds of people in the audience and no one was moving. So, um, we got to hear a lot of the fights, but not really see them. So that was a little bit disappointing. There were no TVs anywhere that kind of showed you the action and the audio inside of the the um, the heavyweight box area was just atrocious. Like you couldn't hear anything that the announcers were saying. Um, I did get a chance to walk through the pits there because uh, I had a VIP pass and I uh, got to meet uh, Paul Ventimiglia for the first time in person. And Paul was great. Um, Got to meet his wife, Tina, and um, they were just absolutely lovely. Um, got to see a lot of our friends from NHRL. Uh, got to see Johnny Sumpas, you know, um, who was pitting for Malice, you know, that uh, this, this past weekend. Um, energy was high. People were really happy. Um, but I, I felt... I felt nervous looking at the cage. Like, when I saw the arena, I told my siblings, because uh, I, I went with my two brothers and my sister. And, uh, I was like, do not sit in the front row. <laughs> like this, this arena looks sketchy. Um, I, I did like a little live, um, event report on the NHRL discord. And that was like the second message that I sent to the group. Like it's this arena looks sketchy. Like it just looked rickety and like, um, I, you know, and any arena is safe as long as, you know, it's not tested. And um, it was tested this weekend and it failed. And I, I just don't think that you can take an arena designed from 2017, 2018, and just assume that 250 pound full combat robots from um, 2023 are going to also contain that box. Um Wow, I'm already getting into the bad stuff. Um, I'll tell you some more good stuff. Uh, so I went over into the other the other um, area, and I got to drive um, some ant weights from um, Bot Bash Party Rental Service. You know, um, from Team Scorpios, they were the most fun ant weights. Um, <laughs> it was just so much fun to drive them, and like I can totally see the appeal of it if you are here in the Bay Area and you need to have an amazing birthday party. Um, you know, service, call them up because it was just an absolute blast to drive their little ant weights. It was really fun. It was like five bucks to, to drive and you got to pick whatever robot you wanted off the table and, um, you, you could face your friend basically. 
Um, and there were some other like really cool robots in the other building. Um, but like, admittedly, it was like not as full as I thought it was going to be. Um, I'm like kind of, I guess, I guess I, I'm spoiled by like going to maker fairs where there's lots of builders, lots of really interesting stuff to see. And you this said was, that, you said there was a thousand attendees. Yeah, probably like probably a thousand or, or there are more, more than a thousand, I would say. I mean, not many thousands, um, but yeah, there were, there were probably a, oh, oh, a little over a thousand on, on Saturday. So that's um, like comparatively, that's like a, like a fully uh, stacked house at NHRL. Yeah. Similar. It was similar. The big difference and the, I was struggling with what I wanted to say about this event until the arena breaches happened. And then I was like, oh, this is very clear what I have to say about the event. Um, but it was just like the value for money was just like not there. Like if the tickets were $5 each, this would be the greatest event on the planet. But general admission tickets were $45 each and VIP tickets were $500 each. And you had no VIP, ex- like there was no experience around the VIP ticket. You just got to go into the pit area and you were completely unsupervised. Like you could just walk into the pit area with your VIP badge and just start badgering people. Like it was just wild. How many, how many VIP ticket holders, ticket holders would you say that there were? I saw a ton. Yeah. There were a lot of people who bought these $500 VIP tickets. Holy cow. like I, I can't imagine an event where you're like, hey, this is a super famous person who's on TV and you can just pay $500 and you can go follow them around, I guess, <laughs> all day long. You know what I mean? Like without security or anything. I don't know. It was just that that aspect of it was really odd. It was just like, oh, pay us extra money and you can just walk around wherever you want in the building. I didn't like have to sign a waiver or anything like that. People are like, you know, there's very expensive machines out on tables. And just, if I had 500 bucks, I could just walk, walk around and take whatever I wanted, I guess, you know, as long as nobody caught me. Um, you got to recoup that money somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I'm going to go back to robo games ever <laughs> again. Um, I just saw, I, I thought it was, um, it was just like it, it, the value for money for me wasn't there. And clearly the safety protocols are not being taken seriously. Like if you watch this, this comedy skit with Dave Calkins, it is cringy AF. I like bent in on myself in cringe where it's just like, I would never, ever, ever joke about arena safety ever in a thousand years. Like he had an opportunity to say, look, we had an arena breach. We are going to pause heavyweight fights for the rest of the day. And like he could have gained so much respect from the builders and the fans by doing the right thing. But instead he went on and joked about it. And it's like, it's not a joke. Someone could have been hit in the audience. And like, it's, it's just, it was happened feet away from like actual people who were there. Um, this fork, just freaking four pound fork. Just and it was, it. it was single wall Lexan. Do you know how thick it was? I don't know if it was single or double. I mean, everyone says that it's double, but like, when I saw close-up photos of it, it didn't look like there was much, if at all, an air gap. So it's like, you know, people were saying it's half-inch Lexan just squished together with no air gap. The, the amount of speculation and kind of conspiracy theories that I've heard online in the last 24 hours has been voluminous. And 
Rebel Games has not put out an official statement. They have banned people uh, on their live Twitch chat that talked about the arena breach. You know, like they tried to downplay it initially. It was just an absolute communications disaster. And they had an opportunity to do the right thing and like actually step up and be responsible and they failed. So um, yes, this is the last time that Robo Games gets any of my money, y'all. All All right. (laughs) So Okay, uh, this is an unrelated question, but I saw on the website that they were advertising like non-combat I think like humanoid uh, robots or like other types of non-combat interesting sounding robots. Did you see any of those? Yeah, they had like um, robot uh, soccer. They had like some art robots that played music. They had like an art robot that would tell your fortune. Um, They had like these walking robots that shot lasers at one another, like kind of simulated walking combat. but it just was like, it was like a worse Maker Fair, you know, like you can see all of that stuff and more at your average neighborhood Maker Fair. And it just was like a broke down Maker Fair, basically, you know. Um, so, and Maker Fair does not cost $45 to get in, you know, like the the ticket price is just unconscionably high. It, you know, like if you can't afford the cost of your event, like just run a smaller event. That's what I say. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there, there were other things to see, um, but it absolutely pales in comparison to any other Maker Fair event that is held in the Bay Area, you know, throughout the year. So that's basically it. I don't know. I, uh, I, I'm sharply critical of it. You know, I'd love to get my 250 bucks back that <laughs> I paid for all of my siblings tickets, you know? Um, cause, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I didn't really get to see much and, um, that was disappointing. So were there um, cheesesteaks at least <laughs> or pretzels, Amish pretzels? No, I wish that would have made it better. I did have a really good spam musubi though. That was nice. But I, I will say, like, totally independent of this, and listen, I mean, this would be delightful anywhere. Um, I really did like hanging out with the builders. I got to talk to Matt Maxim. I got to see Jason Vasquez. Um, I hung out with, uh, briefly with Paul Ventimiglia, and um, just absolutely lovely. Like, Johnny Sumpas, of course, always having the best day of his life um, and wearing the Malice gear and really helping out on the team. Um, and the fights were incredible. Manta, this like killer in the box, is one thousand percent going to get onto Battlebot season eight. Who's um, the team behind Manta? Nick Dabrokov. So he's run like Noisy Boy um, at NHRL, and he's on Team Malice. And so he had um, applied with this drum spinner for season seven, but got rejected. And so he built Manta as kind of like a spec build and it just tore through the competition. It was incredible. In the arena. Ayo. And it's um, like it's kind of like um, almost like an elongated uh, egg beater style drum. Yeah. That would, that would be, I don't know, not, not saying that there's any, uh, uh, and any any copying happening here but like we've seen in in the lo- lower weight classes uh wider drums like that on on voxel and yeah. you know uh, well i mean thoughts. 
noisy boy is a is a long boy yeah. yep. drum as well you know so it makes sense that that's his design cool. but i mean like it's it doesn't have gimmicks it is just a stripped down killing machine um so did i, I did i tell you i i ran to aaron catling a, a battlebot showrunner aaron catling oh cool and um he was like manta looks amazing and i'm like dude you gotta get manta on battlebots and it's like yeah i i don't know why you wouldn't like this thing tears through arenas. <laughs> so, you know, um, Trey loves that. Yeah. Oh, huge fan, huge fan. You know, it, it is funny. Cause it's like, I think the big takeaway that a lot of people had after the arena breach was just like, they really appreciate the focus on safety at BattleBots and the focus on safety at NHRL. Like we've had a partial arena breach where like our inner Lexan panel got, cracked in a fight with depth charge but we didn't immediately cut the feed we didn't joke about it we were transparent about what happened we created content afterward to show how our arenas are constructed and how they're safe and we felt totally confident and people feel totally confident in our ability to run 30 pound fights inside of these cages but we would never run a heavyweight combat robot in one of those cages it's just not rated for it you know and it's just really irresponsible to have these just ancient cages from Robo Games, you know, trying to, you know, contain modern death machines, you know. It's also disappointing that, like, on top of it all, you couldn't even hear what was going on. That, like, the announcer feeds weren't streamed loud enough for people to hear that there was no television. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, rag on them any further, but... It's just yeah. a bummer that there was no like seemingly thought to the spectator experience. It was poor. There were definitely many, many, many dozens of people who were just standing and they had to kind of peek through other people's, um, you know, around their shoulders and stuff. It's like, um, I understand that that I would like expect that from an event like Franklin Institute that we've been to where, you know, there's not really anywhere to sit. There's no TVs, but it's in one little room. It's one box. You just kind of, you yeah, know, expect got, have, that you got to peek through people's they, shoulders. They have limited budget. They, I mean, they're not, yeah. they're not charging. <laughs> exactly. I think yeah. I don't remember paying anything to go. Um, yeah. And I, I like, honestly, if it was a $5 ticket, it'd be amazing. But it's like, I'm, I'm like, we shell, we shelled out 250 bucks and, Gil was able to get me a free VIP pass, but I mean, if I had a VIP pass, it'd be a $750 total. Like that's, that's the value of all the tickets that we had in our hands. And we didn't see a single heavyweight fight because they didn't have enough seating. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And it just sounded like, you know, Char Charlie Brown's parents, you know, underwater <laughs> like yeah. in the arena, like you couldn't even hear the announcers. Um, so I don't know. It was, uh, well, we're, we're glad exactly. you made it out alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I suppose. Could have been uh, could have been hit by that that fork and really like uh, broke the internet, you know? I am sure David Calkins is very thankful right now that that did not hit a human being. I don't think, I don't know. Now I'm speculating, but like just his whole demeanor after it happened just did not... I mean, he still hasn't put out a statement. What we're recording this Monday night. Well, he's probably embarrassed, but like, 
he's still a human. Like, he knows if that piece of debris hit a person, he'd be in trouble. But he's not going to come out. I mean, I can understand, and it, obviously it's not the right decision, but I can imagine, you know, someone who has a lot of pride in their event for, you know, maybe it's history, wouldn't mm. want to, like, own up to, uh, or, like, you know, put out alternative facts or whatever. Like, it feels very much like that. And obviously I don't condone it, but I, I, it's easy to see why maybe he would just, like, publicly pretend like it was NBD. The fork landed right next to John Bennett. You know what I mean? Like, the wow. yeah. like you could, you could see it. It's landed like maybe two feet away from him. And it's like, he could have very easily been sitting there and just <laughs> got conked right on the head, you know? So I wonder if you had John, a... ask, ask him about it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that, that's it for this week's news. Um, thanks for listening to my very long uh, event reports. Um, speaking of event reports on Thursday, I'm going to be going to BattleBots Destructathon. So if you're in the audience on Thursday, um, I guess say hello. Um, and I will tell you all about that on next week's episode. Um, so, so stay tuned. Um, okay. Let's take a look back at episode 12 of BattleBots, which aired this past Thursday. We saw a return to form for Lockjaw, Malice eat up Gruff with their forks, Dragon King dominate, Shred Bro slide into the toaster and Hydra flip its way to yet another victory. Uh, very quickly, any thoughts on episode 12? Yeah, the last uh, the last match of the episode really has been one of the ones that stuck with me. Uh, I <laughs> Sawblaze had uh, more airtime than an average episode of the Dukes of Hazard. It was it was up there. I saw more of the underside of Sawblaze than maybe every other Sawblaze match ever combined, and um, that was pretty wild. Uh, you know. Uh, I was uh, I was really surprised to see Claw Viper lose the ground game against Hypershock to Zippy Bots. Uh, you know, I really did. Uh, as soon as Claw Viper came out of the corner at the beginning of the match uh, with that box rush, I was like, oh man, this is going to be on. This is going to be like a high-speed match. But uh, I think that Hypershock, after sticking, you know, a couple of those first hits, they, they really set the pace. Um, I uh, I really loved watching Doomba. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> got a couple of good bites in. I was really surprised that that inoperable chainsaw actually did remove a belt. Uh, that was that was pretty wild to see. Lindsay, what do you what do you think? Yeah, um, the Doomba and Dragon King match really felt like an old school, I don't know, Comedy Central match, which I really enjoyed. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think like you, you covered a lot of it. I I. This is something that I don't think has been pointed out. At least I haven't seen it. But yeah, uh, you know, Shredipro couldn't really do too much to Lucky. Just like the way the two bots were configured, it wasn't really able to get a good bite. But Shredder was actually looking pretty maneuverable, way mm. more maneuverable and controllable than it had been, you know, in its prior two matches this season. So, yeah, it's going to get overlooked because it slid in like a N64 cartridge <laughs> into the um into the screws. But like I saw a little, you know, a ray of hope, ray of positivity and how maneuverable uh Shredit was looking um, you know, for the minute or so that that match went on. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Shredderboro, of course, my beloved team, uh, we have capitalized and, uh, this week we came out with a very limited edition line of merch, uh, around toasters and toasty, uh, bots. So, uh, if you want to commemorate this, uh, this moment, go and check out, uh, Shredderboro's Facebook page, of course. Um, now I, I will say that this was a very challenging week for predictions. Um, we had 83 people send in predictions and nobody, absolutely zero people managed to call all seven fights correctly. The best that anyone did this round was five out of seven. Wow. Virtually everyone failing to correctly call Mad Catter versus Lockjaw and Sawblaze versus Hydra. In fact, only because he asked for it, I do want to give a special shout out this week to our friend Nick Sacco, who managed to call just one out of seven fights correctly. <laughs> uh, and Nick, I'm just going to say preemptively, how dare you? Because uh, the one that you called correctly was Shredder Bro versus Lucky. So like, even, <laughs> even in a bracket buster of a week, like everyone got that one right. So Nick, uh, there you go. I'm so sorry. No points awarded. Um <laughs> That's... His predictions were officially Mad Catter, Gruff, Doomba, Claw Viper, Free Shipping, Lucky, and Sawblaze. <laughs> you know what? You, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at that uh, prediction, and like other than maybe Free Shipping, I would have guessed very similarly. Yes. Um, yes. So way to go, Nick. We're proud of you. Hey, yeah. Luke, Luke, how did Kyle do against everyone? <laughs> Kyle only did slightly better than Nick. He got two out of seven correctly. <laughs> uh, so you know, uh, oh. Nick and Kyle. I mean, you're both you're both uh, you know BattleBot super fans who know what you're talking about. But this was just an unexpected episode. Now uh, Kyle's not here. He's out camping with his family, so he cannot send us in predictions. We're we're gonna post them on Discord and probably Facebook um, once the uh, once the thread goes live. But I will give you a quick preview of uh, the fight card this week. No predictions, of course, because uh, we were there. Emulsifier versus Quantum, first fight of the night, followed by Gigabyte versus Endgame. Shredder Bro faces off against Overhaul. It's our first time out of the number six slot on the fight card, which is great. Um, Rotator will face Fusion in the next fight. Scorpios will face off against Ribot. Dragon King will return and face off against Terror Tops. And our main event will be Copperhead versus Ripperoni. Now, no spoilers, of course, Chris and Lindsay, you were on Team Copperhead, but we will talk about it a lot next week um, because everybody loves the pizza bot and Copperhead is just performing great this season. So I uh, cannot wait to hear your thoughts next week. All right. Now, um, we're going to put up a prediction thread later today on Facebook. So head on over there to send us your predictions. If you happen to call all seven fights correctly, we will give you a special shout out on next week's episode. Or apparently, uh, or apparently, if you call just one <laughs> yes. or none. <laughs> yeah. If you can call zero, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll take pity on you, you know? Uh, yeah, Nick, you can do even better. Um, all right. After the break, we'll return with our interview with Kevin Milcheski. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, Claw Viper Captain Kevin Milcheski. Kevin grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Kevin grew up in New York's Hudson Valley. Woo! Woo! Uh, one town over from me, 
and now lives in Seattle, where he works as an engineer at Amazon Web Services. BattleBots fans know him for Claw Viper, the zippy little control bot that just ended the qualifying rounds at a very strong 3-1 record. We're catching up with Kevin just weeks before the start of the round of 32, where Claw Viper is all but guaranteed to make the tournament with a comfortably high seed. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Woo! Woo! Hello! <laughs> Thank you so much. It's 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 so great to to finally have you on the show. It's um He's been on before, but not for a while. Oh really? I thought that this was your first time on the show. Uh, no, this is my first time on the show. I uh, I cast it a little bit at uh, NHRL. I was uh mm. stopped by for the November event. Oh my god, what am I thinking of? All right, never mind. I'm wrong. Get back in your crate, Lindsay. <laughs> All right. Kevin, um awesome to have you here. Claw Viper is absolutely gnarly this season. Uh it's it's one of the most interesting bots to watch on the show. Uh uh, full stop period end of sentence yeah it's we're really happy that it's actually doing what it's supposed to do now um like it should have been this good for three years but now that it's finally here i'm just <laughs> super happy that everybody gets to see what it's supposed to do we're we're definitely gonna get into the nitty-gritty there uh but i'm gonna start uh normally luke opens up these introductions but i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna start the interview here uh with a um uh, very specific regional questions that hopefully will be of uh, interest to at least three or four of our listeners out there uh, <laughs> about the Hudson Valley. So you grew up in Hyde Park, New York. And just for context, um, myself and my sister Jackie, we grew up, uh, I would say, one town over, two towns over uh, in Rhinebeck, where uh, Luke and Jackie currently live now. Um, so we're we're very familiar with Hyde Park, but for people who aren't familiar with it, can you describe your hometown? Yeah, it's a it's a small town in the middle of New York. It's actually the hometown of President FDR. So FDR's uh, presidential library is in Hyde Park. Um, so it's just a small, quiet town um, where you you know it's really easy to grow up as a kid, play baseball, sports, basketball, everything. Uh, it's just a nice town. Now, my high school was so uh, small, we didn't have a football team. So the year I tried out, I had to try out for a football team. I had to take the bus to Hyde Park to uh, to try to play football there. Um, and let's see, I, I did the whole, uh, you know, uh, tryouts and everything and looked like it was going to be good. But then I just realized I don't like football. I like playing with my Legos. <laughs> and <laughs> and that's that was the end of that journey. Um, so can you, um, can you tell me, did you have the same, same interest as a kid or were you like a sports kid? Like what, uh, what were the opportunities for you to like get interested in robotics and you know, how did the Hudson Valley accommodate that? Um, so I grew up playing sports. Um, but after like my first or second concussion, I don't remember from football, I gave it up because I knew I wanted to do engineering and that wasn't going to play well with that. <laughs> um, but I didn't actually do a lot of robotics in, in high school. Um, I learned how to program, uh, like uh, software coding in school, but no, I didn't really get to do robotics until a lot later in life. So was this sometime during college or after college that you started getting into robotics? And then how did you discover combat robotics? I didn't get into it until I was actually uh, in a professional career. Um, 
and I got into it because of BattleBots, because of the TV show. Um, I, I watched the ABC seasons um, with my dad and just said, this is super cool. And one it was after I'd already gone to Seattle. So I think it was like season two of ABC was right when I was airing when I moved to Seattle. And I just one day happened to, you know, watch it and look up and say, like, is there anything like this near me? And the next weekend, there was an event like a mile away. So I just walked there and hung out. And I still have videos of like watching robots going there and uh, just saying, how the heck are they doing this? This is so cool. I want to do this. And I dragged some friends with me. And one of them had a 3D printer. And I'm like, yo, you have a 3D printer. We're doing this. And he's like, okay. And I, I made him 3D print me a bunch of stuff. Um, and we went to our next event after that. How long was it? From the time that you just happened upon BattleBots on uh, on ABC to you uh, to you entering your first uh, combat robotics competition, and where was that? Um, I want to say it was about a year or so because um, I saw the first season; it was really cool. Um, and then, while the second season was airing, um, I, I think I was in Seattle, and we we did it. So it was maybe like three or four months from saying I want to do this to building my first robot. Can you tell us a little bit about that first robot? It was sure. terrible. It was great. <laughs> it was, uh, ironically, it was actually a lifter because um, they're really easy to build when you don't know what you're doing. Um, it was a 3D, plus, 3D printed plastic ant. Uh, so it competed in the plastic ant class in Seattle. It was like just kind of starting there where the materials are restricted to things that are 3D printable to make it easy to get started. Um, so... We actually designed that robot in OpenSCAD, which if you're not familiar with it, is not actually a CAD program. It's kind of like a programming language that spits out geometric shapes. So our first robot wasn't even CAD. It was actually a program um, that produced the shape. And it was hilarious. Like, it's not the right tool. But it's what what my friend knew how to use. So we kind of just figured it out. The robot didn't even have a roof. The roof of the robot was a failed print of the base of the robot. And then we just taped it on. It was, it was the jankiest robot you've ever seen, but it somehow managed to win two fights, and I just I couldn't get enough after that. And what, what was it called? Uh, the first robot... So my robots have weird themes of names. The first few robots are sadly Rick and Morty themed. So the first robot I built was named Swifty. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long was it? Because now we're talking... We're, we're living in a window that was only... Uh, you know, what, six years ago, seven years ago? Uh, what was the cup up, comeuppance like uh, going from, you know, a a crudely designed ant weight to some of the larger weight classes? Um, lots of small steps along the way. Um, so I was really lucky that in Seattle, we actually had a monthly plastic ant event. So we got to play every month. So every month I would show up with a new robot um, you know, new designs, new iterations. Um, and it was really, it was spectacular for learning how things work really quickly. Um, was able to go from, you know, Googling how to, how to wire a robot to, you know, then figuring out how to build a spinner, how to do a drivetrain that doesn't die. Um, you know, how to, how to, you know, buy the right tools that you're going to need, um, all of that. And so I've just kind of worked my way up through the weight classes of, you know, one pound, three pound, 12 pound, 30 pound. Um, so I've already had a 30 pounder by the time we did Warhawk 
in the like the first or second discovery season. And I think it was like the second discovery. No, it was the, first, it was the very first season where I had my beetle weight there, and we like it, we threw it into the arena against overhaul, and like I was just I was assuming I was going to lose the robot, and it like impacted the fight and didn't die. And I'm like, oh, this is really really cool. Let's I want to build my own one of these. It's it we we're gonna get um we have so many listener questions about uh your your history and your bots but we're gonna open up with some of these intro questions from the community the first from huge captain Jonathan Schultz writes I wanted to put Claw Viper as our favorite robot for the 2022 bot page but I was worried it was a spoiler but Claw Viper is my favorite robot Jonathan mm-hmm. goes on to ask. Ask him to tell the story of how he got accepted into the 2020 season and the process of convincing BattleBots how cool Claw Viper would be. Oh man, that was that was that was a ride getting into the first year. Um, that so 2020 obviously was the COVID affected year, um, and originally there was supposed to be uh, 90 bots that year. I was robot number 90. Um, on like talking to the producers every week, um, showing them videos of my robot, you know, um, you know, trying to convince them to let me do it. And it was, you know, as teams were dropping out due to the pandemic, they said, all right, you're in. And I had like six weeks to build it. Um, so we just hit rush order on everything. Um, you know, pulled favors with friends, bought buddies some beer to weld it together. Um, and it was, it, it was crazy. We were the very last robot accepted in 2020. Uh, and that's, Jonathan, that's pretty Jonathan's wild. a good friend. I spent most of today texting him about random robot stuff. He's he's one of the best, if not. Well, we won't go there. Uh, BattleBot <laughs> fan Ryder Liangle writes: Were there significant upgrades to Claw Viper compared to last season, or was it basically the same bot and the magnets? And uh, idiot strap were that much of a game changer. Um, it's basically the same robot. Um, it's very few like structural changes. The it's just the strap and the magnets really. Um, they were there last year, but uh, every time you're building a magnet robot, you're always scared of having too much um, because if you have way too much, it can't move. And the very last thing you want to do is put a robot into the BattleBots arena. With, you know, thousands of people there, and it just sits there and can't move. Um, so we were conservative with that. And then the way the robot's designed, once you kind of set the magnet height, it's uh, difficult to change. Um, so we just stuck with it. But going into this year, we had an event in uh, Orlando, Florida, uh, Orlando Maker Fair. So we had adjusted the magnets for that event um, and tested there. Um, and my robot actually was asked to no longer participate because it destroyed the floor. <laughs> um, it was too much power. Um, so that, that was a little embarrassing, but also like, okay, the, the, it works now. So I was happy. <laughs> Ryder goes on to ask, you know, I've, I've heard that Claw Viper is a scaled up version of a hobby weight. Can you tell us more about the 12 pound version and a follow-up question to that? Is there any chance of bringing it across the country to compete at NHRL? Oh man. Uh, I've been trying to bring the 12 pounder to NHRL for a long time. It's without the steel floor, it needs a lot of modifications. I've got, you know, another pound of weight to play with and I need to do something to get the traction back. Um, so 
expect that this year. It'll, it'll be in Norwalk sometime in 2023. Which exact one? I don't know. But we'll bring it there. Um, the 12 pounder is, um, I'm not very creative, but what I can do is combine other people's good ideas. So the got the idea for kind of the heavy drivetrain, really fast robot from a local Seattle bot uh, that's actually run by Rob Purdy, who runs all of our uh, events. It's a robot called Shag. Um, and it's basically Claw Viper, but no lifter. Uh, great big motors, great big magnet holds it down. Um, and it, it looks like it teleports when it moves. And that's the robot that I saw the very first time I ever saw an event live. So imagine you see a robot and it moves like nothing you've ever seen before. And I'm like, I want to build that. So the drivetrain is based off of Shag. And then from King of Bots, Greedy Snake had the lifter. Um, that was the two-part multi, the two-part lifter. And I saw that and I'm like, this is very robust and actually deceptively simple. And I thought it was just a really cool mechanism. So I'm like, what if I stick these two things together? Um, so that's how uh, the 12-pound claw wiper was born. Now, Ryder's last question uh, is is prefaced by saying, I'm not getting into the whole debate if, if BattleBots favor spinners, but there are people who think bringing a control bot can be a big disadvantage there. Can you talk about the decision to bring Claw Viper to BattleBots? Oh, um, you know, I think if you're going there to win, um, you want to have, you know, uh, a spinner. But the show needs more than just spinners to be entertaining. Um, and that's part of why I like Marlbot is it's, it's entertaining without being destructive. Um, and it still can be very effective and win. Um, like uh, live events, when you pick up another robot and hold it, you get more cheers than like the half second when a big spinner hits somebody, right? You get five seconds of carrying it around and people are loving it, cheering it. Um, I love bringing that to the show. So is it the most effective weapon? No. Can it still win fights regularly? Heck yeah. It's awesome. It's uh, it, Yeah, it's definitely a bold move, and I am 100% for it. Uh, we've got a series of good questions here from BattleBot superfan Alexander Archer. Uh, Alex's first question is, even though you lost your last fight to Hypershock, how did it feel to go 3-1 this season? Um, we were pretty happy going with the season. Uh, you know, Going into the Hypershock fight, we, we kind of knew we were already in the top 32. Um, and so we had actually tried to save some of our wheels uh, we have a very limited supply of custom vulcanized rubber wheels <laughs> um, that give us a lot of extra traction. So we were trying to save a brand new set of those for the tournament. Um, so it was really disappointing to kind of get our butt kicked by Hypershock. Um, but you know, three and after we went three and zero, three and one was kind of the plan. Um, we wanted to try to learn, try to put on a good fight, but we kind of knew without the wheels it wasn't going to be a great fight. We thought we didn't think it was going to be that bad. But we kind of figured 3-1 and was where we were going to go, so we were really happy with it. I think we were saying throughout the year that uh, just making the top 32 was the goal of the year. Alexander's next, next question is, do you plan to return for next season uh, if it happens? And if so, what upgrades do you have planned? Uh, heck yeah, we're going to be back uh, if the show comes back. Uh, and the big thing we're going to change is kind of the fork setup on the, the lifter arms. They were beefed up a lot this year. Uh, we want to beef them up even more. Make them a little easier to work on and a little more effective at kind of just shoving them in a spinner and don't care that they're not going to disappear. 
Next question is, how did it feel to show the fans and producers that control bots can still do incredibly well at BattleBots and that you don't need a spinner to do it? It was really vindicating, right? Um, you know, we've talked to some of um, the producers about it, and they were, you know, they were starting to get a little discouraged about some of the control bots, right? Because there's a bit, of, you know, there can be a trend. Of, it's always up and down, right? Sometimes you're going win streaks, lose streaks. Um, but some of the control bots, including me, right, have been getting our butt kicked uh, a lot. So to take, you know, a robot like Ribot uh, and kind of just control the fight the whole time, um, kind of open people's eyes of like, oh, okay, if you if you do some things right, this is actually an effective design. So it felt really good. Did you compete at Robo Games this year? I did not. Um, I didn't have any of my robots. I was there helping a friend who has um, he scaled up his twelve pounder to sixty pounds. So it was a magnet robot, but no lifter. So it's invertible um, and has a lot more armor and a lot more speed. Um, so his uh, his brother normally helps him out uh, building the robots and running them, and he wasn't able to make it to Robo Games. So I uh, just decided to go down and help him run it. And I think he got uh, second place in lightweights. So that was pretty cool. All right. I got a couple of questions here from Drew Monteith, uh, who asks, apart from speed, what makes Claw Viper different from the rest of the control bots competing past or present? Um, the, the lifter mechanism helps a lot. Um, I know, what's their name? Deadlift had the same mechanism last year. Um, the, the mechanism, you know, it's the, the multi-part lifter. It, the thing I like about it is it's very, very durable. Um, I can th the lower arms are actually completely unpowered, so you can throw them into spinners, and it's not going to wreck the gearbox, so it keeps working. Um, that I think is one of our main advantages uh, because the way I view it, that counts as aggression with the BattleBots rules because it's still a part of my active weapon. So I am attacking with my active weapon while you know basically being a pushbot. So I think it's a really nice trick of the rules that I get to do that. All right, Drew's next question uh, is, since the speed of both competing robots' drivetrains is a, is a factor in calculating a spinning weapon's bite, is that something that you take into account when you are competing? Uh, yes. So it depends on which type of robot you're fighting. Uh, for verticals, it's actually really good to give them too much bite because there's a really cool thing that happens, which is if you put a fork under their weapon before they you know get to hit it, they then hit themselves into the ground. Um, which is terrible for a vert because um, it's getting forces in directions they're not made to handle. Um, so that part is really, really good. Uh, we've had some mistakes and lessons learned about horizontals of giving them too much bite because um, that really, really hurts. You know, usually horizontals, you know, if you have a wedge or the right armor package, they don't stop, right? They don't deliver all of their energy. If you give them four inches of bite, uh, yeah, they're going to deliver all of their energy to you, <laughs> and it it's not fun. So there, there's different strategies that go with that, depending on who you're fighting. Drew wraps up by just saying, I'm so excited to see you and the team have success this year, and I hope this see, to see you guys do a deep run in the round of 32. And uh, with that, I'm going to pass things over to Luke, who's going to hit you with some more listener questions. Hey, Kevin. Uh, great to talk to you. I mean, I really enjoyed us sharing the broadcasting desk together at NHRL a couple months ago and um, just stoked to see somebody from 
our hometown area, like doing so well on BattleBots. Um, so yeah, uh, I am a Claw Viper fan for sure. Um, we've got a question here about design from Mario Cast. Uh, Mario Cast writes, great run for the giant net team, Claw Viper. What type of drivetrain motors and speed controllers make Claw Viper so zippy like a Beetleweight bot? Um, so for the drive motors, we're running... Um... They're 100 millimeter diameter, 100 millimeter long outrunners uh, from a company Revo called Revolt in Israel. So we have to import them. <laughs> um, they are they're monsters. Um, they, you know, when you hear some of these motors say, you know, like a the, a common motor in the fighting robots are the Castle 2028, right? A lot of teams run those now. Uh, they say on the box that they they're 10 horsepower with an asterisk of you know for typical vehicle acceleration times. The motors I run will run 10 horsepower all day, um, and the bursts way higher than that. There's just so much more thermal mass in them. So that's how, you know, it's a 250-pound robot. There's like 36 pounds of motor on drive. <laughs> uh, it's several times more than most robots run. It's honestly more than we need right now. Um, the motors are like the coldest part of the robot after a fight. So after a fight, we'll actually take a thermal... Uh, thermal IR temp temperature sensor and look and see what temperatures things are so that we, you know, kind of know what we're up against. Uh, the motors are the coldest thing in the robot. <laughs> uh, the batteries are hotter the, and the wheels are hotter than the motors. Um, so we have, you know, plenty of motor to spare for what we're doing. Um, and then for the speed controllers, we're just running the VESC 75300s um, with uh, quite a bit of tuning on them. Nice. Um, Mario writes, I understand that it's hard for Claw Viper to be an invertible bot because of the claw. Have you considered a low profile Claw Viper because being turned over like in the fight against Hypershock being quick as well, never gave Claw Viper a chance to square up quickly. And then he writes, good luck. And he uh, has a little uh, snake emoji and a first placed emoji. So uh, <laughs> Mario, Mario is rooting for you. But uh, yeah, questions around invertibility and like your ability to, to drive upside down. Yeah, um, there's no way to make the robot uh, really invertible. Um, in order to do that, you'd have to have something similar to Biohazard, where the arm comes completely in. Uh, normally, it self-writes uh, plenty quick, but I think we had the arm speed still dialed down from other setups, um, so it was a little slower than we like. Um, and so Hypershock was fast enough to get hits in before we came back over. Um, but the arm is actually a lot faster than I've got it set up right now. Uh, that's one of the things we're going to change. We're going to bring it, now that we have the strap, um, it's less reliant on me being precision on the stick to hold a lift. It just holds it. Um, but I had not changed the speed of the arm. So the arm is actually faster than it can, can go faster than I have it set to right now. Uh, so it should be able to self-write much faster. Cool. We've got a couple of questions about the arm specifically. Mark David Pollard uh, writes, I just want to start by saying amazing season and great job taking the box by storm. How much clamping force does Claw Viper have? And also, what is the maximum weight that Claw Viper can lift? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so the way the clamping mechanism works is it's, it doesn't have a defined clamping force. The clamping force is the weight of the other robot, the weight of what it's holding. Um, because the only thing that's powered is the top jaw. And when it bottoms out, it then turns into a reaction lifter um, against the bottom. So the clamping force is only, only the weight of the other robot, um, which is why we needed the strap. Because once you get 
above you know 40 50 degrees your clamping force drops way down um so you have very little clamping force uh so robots kind of fall out or you know um too too aggressive on the stick and it just suplexes them and so when we, now when we have the clamp or the strap now when the strap bottoms out now i can clamp however hard i want um as, as much uh, at that point it's however hard you're trying to put current into the lift that's how much clamping force it has once the strap is bottomed out um so that part's really cool as far as torque it's the lifter was set up for the 2020 bot which had a lot longer arm so it was set up to be able to lift the robot from four feet away <laughs> uh so there's a thousand foot pounds of torque uh on the arm so like if you put a short arm on that you could jack up a car with claw viper like it'll it'll just wow. lift it up that's amazing um, Elaine Milton asks, what is the quote unquote claw on claw viper made of? I know previous claw vipers had a UHMW claw, but this one looks different and looks like it performs differently. Yeah. This year, um, we were underweight last year. Um, and we did a couple of things to claw even, uh, pun, claw even more weight back. Um, and then we dumped it all straight into the lower arms because they were UHMW last year and. You know, it was pretty obvious watching some fights back that it wasn't going to be effective. Um, you know, you ram somebody into the wall and the whole arm would bend um, and be no longer effective. I was like, okay, that's not good. And, you know, fans called it out too. I'm like, you're right. I'm not going to acknowledge it, but you're right. <laughs> that needs to change. <laughs> um, so this year they are solid aluminum. Uh, they're one inch thick 6061 aluminum that I actually got from a laser cutter. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Like you, aluminum is really hard to laser cut because you know, it conducts heat really well. So these this company laser cuts one inch thick aluminum, and I had them send me like twelve arms. <laughs> um, but they're they're solid one inch thick aluminum all the way through, uh, and then the ends are a big pile of AR five hundred steel made into stacked and welded together into the shape of a claw or shape of a fork, you know, to give something to give spinner something to chew on. Awesome, awesome. Uh, transitioning over into a couple questions about magnets. Uh, we've got some questions here from Bloodsport team member and YouTube star Seth Schaefer, who runs Just Cause Robotics. Seth writes, Kevin, obviously Claw Viper has some insane speed and acceleration. Seeing the recent episode and Bot Whisperer segments about your magnet configuration, I'm really curious as to what drove the decisions there. First off, why do you have so many separate small magnets versus a fewer number of larger magnets? Um. So the number one reason why there's so many magnets is actually for pit safety. I can't stand dealing with magnets. They scare the, they scare the daylights out of me. Um, mm. So the bigger ones are even scarier. You know, they get, they get within six inches of something and they're going to scoot off like a rocket shatter and be not fun. Um, so the smaller magnets are much easier to deal with in the pits. Um, we do have the capability to run bigger magnets. Um, the reason that I don't is because I'm scared of them. <laughs> we have like uh, yeah. safety protocols for dealing with them. It's kind of funny. You can tell when we're about to do magnets for the robot because everything goes off the pit table, right? Battlebots, mm. pit tables and battlebots are usually a mess, right? There's stuff everywhere. Unless you're, you know, one of the organized teams. I'm not one of those teams. Um, but when we're about to do the magnets, everything gets cleared off. You know, tools are put away. It's all cleaned up. Um, and we, we try to be as safe as possible when we're dealing with them. And these are actually relatively sane-sized magnets with anything too much bigger. And it, 
it gets a little sketchy. We might end up doing it um, just because it kind of needed to get more force. Um, but that's the big reason why is they're, they're really hard to deal with uh, in the pits. I get that. Yeah, every time I see a, a huge magnet, I just think of my hand getting smashed, uh, you know, because it's pinned against the refrigerator or something like that. Um, so I get it, totally. Um, Seth has another question here. Um, why do you have your magnets all centered rather than close to each wheel? Um, that's actually a, just the geometry of the inside of the robot. Um, hmm. So the if you if you look at the segment of where those magnets are, that's basically where there's nothing else in the robot <laughs> um, or there's been you know space carved out for them because not only do they take up physical space, but they project a magnetic field up into the robot um, that you then have to deal with. Um, so speed hmm. controllers are generally fine. There's two of them directly under our giant speed controller setup. Um, and there is steel plates on there that block most of that field. Um, but a mistake I made in a, like, it was actually the very first version of the 12-pound claw viper. Uh, don't put big magnets directly under a motor, especially not like, you know, a few mm. millimeters away. <laughs> um, I burned like four motors in three fights. Um, like, okay, this is, this is a problem. I don't know exactly why, but I know it's a problem. So let's not do that anymore. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what dictates their spacing. Uh, it's just wherever there's space yeah. and it's not near a motor. Well, a magnet's going there. Yeah. Um, good philosophical question, I guess, design question here. How do you balance the need for your robot's ground clearance with how close to the floor that your robot needs to be for the magnets to work? Um, also the idea of using belts to not get chains stuck to your magnets is pretty smart. Kudos for that. So ground clearance versus magnets. Yeah, that's like the perennial struggle, um, with a magnet robot, right? Is what height do you set them at? Um, and we get we get a we got a lot of questions about about that this year because um, everybody sees it. It's cool. It's like, oh hey, how do you do that? The actual height that I have them is the one thing I don't share. <laughs> um, but philosophically, um, it's a balancing act of probability you're going to get stuck versus wanting the maximum force. Um, and the other thing is the exponential magnet. Uh, right, the, sorry, the magnetic force is exponential with distance, right? So the farther you are away, kind of, it's more consistent. You get, you know, if you lose a millimeter off your wheels, but you're, you know, eight millimeters off the ground, it's not as big a net change as if you go from, you know, one millimeter ground clearance to half a millimeter ground clearance. You know, that is a significantly more, significantly larger change in the, the, the pull strength. Um, so you kind of have to balance those things and then also plan around wheel wear. Um, you know, especially in smaller robots, you don't have time to change the wheels every fight. Um, so do you set your magnet height for what you're going to be having in your first match or like your third match, your fourth match? Um, hmm. It turns into, you know, a, bit, a little bit of tournament prep, right? Um, you know, it also guides you on what wheel compounds you run. Uh, you, typically on the 12-pound bot, I use the, the, the harder side of the Bainbot's wheels, right? They have 30, 40, 50, 60 shore hardness wheels. I usually run the 50s or the 60s, um, depending on how many robots are in the event. Um, the more robots in the event, the harder the wheel compound I run, because basically that says there's going to be less time between fights. Uh, there'll be less time uh, to change the wheels. So that's kind of the, the, big, the big thing is making, sorry, 
And all of that translates into you don't want to get stuck on the ground. <laughs> um, if your yeah. gap gets too small, you have more magnet force than you can overcome, and your robot can't drive anymore. Um, and we kind of have one philosophy for all of robots is if you're moving, you're not dead yet. Um, if your robot can't move, your robot can't win. So yeah. kind of do everything you can to not stop moving. That's really interesting. It's funny because, um, you know, we've we've called now uh, over a thousand, probably 2000 fights at NHRL and we fight on wooden floors at NHRL. So I've never really given much thought to um, the kind of interesting physics behind magnets like this is pretty thought provoking. Um, and I'm sure that there are, you know, many beetle weight builders uh, out in Southern California who are listening to this episode right now and <laughs> frantically uh, recalculating kind of their um distance to the floor. So um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, Richard Sum has more questions about magnets. Uh, Richard writes, with all the magnetic downforce you generate, you can reliably zip across the arena and make precise tight turns, which is awesome. In terms of tires and grip, would you be affected by dust and debris? Can you dive a little bit into tire choices? Since I don't hear about that much in general, I guess you already talked about tire choices a little bit, you know, hardness for those. But um, yeah, dust and debris, does that affect your your magnets? Um, so for the tires, I've not really noted with, with, for tires, I don't really notice the, the dust. I'm sure it does impact, you know, the actual values of, you know, traction and uh, mostly just the traction that comes out. But for drivability, Usually my robots have so much magnet that a little bit of dust doesn't matter. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, which is kind of the point, right? You want a consistent you want a consistent robot that does what you tell it to do. Um that's how I like to describe driving my robot is it does exactly what you tell it to do. Which is why when something's wrong, like in the, the hypershock fight, it, it looks so, so terrible. Because I'm telling it to turn left thirty degrees and it turned left sixty degrees mm-hmm. and then get broadsided. Um so the for the dust on the wheels it doesn't really matter it's a downside of running a magnet robot is the magnets pick up every little tiny piece of crap in the arena <laughs> uh including dust yeah. like you don't realize that these weapons grinding against each other you know all the spinners they make a gigantic pile of uh basically iron filings in the arena mm. and they all end up on the bottom of your robot so I actually had an issue at RoboGames this year where our robot was overweight because we picked up too much crap from the arena. <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to peel off like a quarter pound of washers and dust off the bottom of the magnets on the robot in order to make weight. And I was like, hang on, wait, I measured this before. How did it get heavier? Wow. We, I think we might be the only robot that leaves the arena heavier than it went in. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Richard asked about that specifically because he was watching the Robo Games live stream and was wondering about the metal dust um, on the floor. I guess I guess if you put a uh, a claw viper in there, it uh, kind of cleans the floor for them. So uh, that's I'm sure they'd love that. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I saw a uh, I saw a picture from John the bot photographer where we got hit by uh, Federal MT, and there's a big cloud of dust yeah. flying in the air. Not from where the spinner is, but from the bottom of our robot. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, so ask, asking about BattleBots, you know, how does the floor affect your grip and therefore your bot's zippiness as the season goes on? Does it change, um, you know, as the season uh, goes on and the floor gets more and more torn up uh, during the competition? Um, for the most part, we don't notice the damage on the floor. 
Um, at some point, we noticed that they repaired a uh, they repaired some damage by welding a quarter inch plate on the floor. Um, multiple builders went and complained about that, but I was like, "Yeah, we'll just we will never ever get off of that." Mm. Uh, please go grind that down. Yeah. Um, but for for most of the damage in the arena, it doesn't affect us. Uh, you know, the worst thing is when the seams get worse. You know, we still have forks, so we'll you know bounce off of them. But the the thing that actually catches us out sometimes is there are some panels in the floor that are bowed down. So they're kind of like dish-shaped. So what, what's happened a couple of times is we'll put a wheel in one of the dish shapes, and then one side of the magnets get way closer than the other. Um, and it kind of makes the robot spin in place. You can see that in some of the fights where Public Bridge just kind of randomly spins in place, um, particularly around one of the kill slot slots. Yeah, that's because the floor is dished there. <laughs> um, so we, you do have to watch out for that. There's a lot of driving it that is avoiding the kill slots because not only are they you know, fork traps, I have no magnet force over them. So if you drive over a kill slot slot with one side of your robot on the kill slot slot and one side on the steel, uh, it's actually going to turn on you. Mm. You can be pushing straight, but it's going to turn because you have no traction on one side. Um, so it, it makes for some challenges. That, that arena is... You know, it's got a great big steel floor, but it's got a lot of stuff that I don't deal with in other arenas. So it's it makes it a lot more challenging to drive in. We have a cheeky question from Alex Pick, uh, a very smart Northeastern University engineering student who runs Zane at NHRL. The reason why I've added this is because, um, uh, you know, truthfully, I don't know the answer to this question and uh, <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Um, <laughs> uh, Alex writes, hi, Kevin, magnets, how do they work? Um, and I'll just say, Alex, you know, for the longest time, I just thought they were magic. So, uh, you know, if you can uh, teach me how magnets work, I would uh, love that. Luke, it's an ICP reference. What? Yeah. Okay. Hey, I've never heard a single song from Insane Clown Posse. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm a, I've, we've established I'm a fancy boy. Okay. All right. Uh, in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was definitely listening to boy bands and stuff. Um, so uh, yeah. Okay. I guess. Are, are, no, you, so, are you an ICP uh, fan, Kevin? No. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that ICP was like, I don't know, whatever they were. I don't even know what you'd classify them as. And then I think they came back. They like reincarnated their image to try and I think be like a Christian rock band. Oh. And then they wrote a song. I just Googled it. A song called Miracles where they were like talking about all the miracles on earth, I think. And then one of the lines was magnets. How do they work? (laughs) Implying that it's like an unknown miracle. So you're saying that, um, the Insane Clown Posse, a uh, notorious, you know, clown core uh, uh, group uh, of idiots from the Midwest are just as smart as I am. Is that right? That's about right. Okay. All right. Um, I'm sorry, Kevin. Uh, I don't know. Can you tell us, and I guess the Insane Clown Posse, how magnets work? They're magic, ro- they're magic rocks that stick together. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. Awesome. I, I know I like permanent magnets and not electromagnets, except for the electromagnets in my motors. <laughs> That's good. All right. Um, I don't know, Alex. Maybe you can tell me how they work. Um, okay, great. Uh, by the way, Alex is too young to even know what Insane Clown Posse is. Okay. All right. So uh, I don't know. 
the song came out in 2009 so it is it is a deep cut yeah, it's a deep cut yeah <laughs> i think the meme has like transcended the song by now <laughs> yeah i mean if my math is correct alex was like in kindergarten when that song came out so i don't know i have i have more questions than answers at this point so um yeah okay great um all right well let's move on to some questions about speed um Donald Sung, who runs Torrential at NHRL, asks, does Claw Viper run a radio mix to have different maximum driving speeds, or do you just send it? Uh, I just send it, and it's kind of bad. <laughs> um, the, the, only, the only special thing I have is the turning rates are turned way down. Uh, I think I run about 30% turning rate on the radio. Um, so, like, full stick left is, you know, like 30% speed. Um, I've tried some, I actually tried to use, uh, Emmanuel from Big Dill. Uh, he let me borrow a, a, basically a plastic ant claw viper to run an event. And he has like a really nice fancy mix on his radio that works great for Big Dill. And I tried to use it on a plastic ant and I was like, no, turn this off. Make it, make it stupid. I want stupid back. <laughs> it was, uh, too fancy. Gussie Mullen wants to know, what will it take to let production give us the out-of-the-box BattleBots driving race that we all crave? Uh, Jesse, I, what was last time that I guess we drove a BattleBot outside of that? Was was that Hypershock with, um, is like one of those pit segments? Um, I guess, do you feel comfortable driving Claw Viper around outside of the box um, to answer Jesse's question? Uh, actually, no, I don't. <laughs> um... It's it's kind of funny. I think Claw Viper is one of the most dangerous robots to turn on. Okay. Um, you know, the lifter's not going to get you. But I, d- I did some uh, kind of hand-wavy math on what happens if it decides to go full speed forward. Um, you don't have enough reaction time. If you're standing in front of it, uh, like two or three feet away, uh, it has hit you before you realize it moved. <laughs> um, so we were like really careful when we turn it on. <laughs> I also had a really bright idea one day of oh we just did a chair match at BattleBots. wait you can weld chairs to things what if i weld a chair to about to clover then i can ride it <laughs> so my, my my imagination got ahead of me and i like ordered the chairs off of amazon and i'm like wait this is a really terrible idea <laughs> so there's been five metal folding chairs sitting in our shop for like a year and every time i go in there they're staring at me and it's just like make it rideable i'm like no this is a bad <laughs> Uh, Jesse has a follow-up question about speed, uh, and uh, he writes, Claw Viper has been zippy in previous seasons, but we've also seen it zoom across the box and stick into the wall or jam up a side of drive and die early. What have you accomplished with this version of Claw Viper to improve its durability and to improve your driving of it? Um, So one of the things that... So even last year, we didn't really lock up too much. Uh, There was once. So some of it's actually the side armor setup. we adjusted some of the side armor so that it can't get bent into wheels. Um, that was a big thing that we learned. Uh, I think it was against like the first fight against Black Dragon. Like we had suplexed them, dropped them behind us, and lo and behold, you drop a spinner behind you, they hit your unarmored back. Um, so they bent armor into a wheel. Um, that we fixed that by adding a strap. And there's also been some minor changes to how the um, uh, how the belt setup works so that they're less likely to bind because uh, there is there's a weird thing that's with the way claw viper set up where 
the rear wheels are super exposed, um, partially so that they actually touch the ground when we're upside down. Because uh, the way it self writes is the way it self writes faster is to move the arm and reverse the rear wheels. It makes it self write really fast. It actually, like slams itself onto the ground. It's kind of fun. <laughs> um, but that means the rear wheels are hanging way out there. So it actually makes it harder to drive because I like to reverse into things. Um, you know, sometimes you just get in a spot where, nope, I got it. You know, we're lined up perfectly. Just the only thing that I can do is go backwards. Well, when your wheels are exposed like that, they get, you know, there's, there's belts on there that either get shut. Either the belt comes off or more annoyingly, the, the, the guide, I don't know what you call it. The guide flange for the belt gets bent. Um, and then your motor has to overcome that. So that was a problem that kind of happens repeatedly. Uh, there's fun stories from that too, where, uh, pardon my French fight last year. Uh, I think like very early in the fight, we did that. We bent the pulley and it ran the whole fight with a, basically a, a flange that was bent maybe a quarter inch and rubbing against the wall. And, you know, I didn't notice it throughout the fight. And then we get the robot out of the arena. And I'm like, wait, this wheel's jammed. And it took everything I could do to turn that wheel. And the motor was just turning it the whole fight and didn't care. Um, so it kind of meandered there a bit, but, um, you know, the, it's kind of the same design, just being a little bit more careful driving to always keep the front forward and then just protecting the rear wheels a bit better, uh, either through new armor packages or just very minor changes to give them more clearance so they don't bind up as easily. Cool. We have a team member, Brandon Bennett-Young, who we had on last week, and it was an absolutely delightful interview. So um, go and check that out if you haven't. Um, he uh, he recently ran a brand new robot NHRL called Fracas, and Fracas is very Claw Viper inspired. So um, Brandon writes, hey, Kevin, you know you already know how much I like Claw Viper. Hopefully Fracas has been fun to watch. What was the process like to develop the drive on Claw Viper? How much testing did you put into the drive when you were developing it? <laughs> uh there's a little too much yellow in that to uh, to readily admit to, <laughs> um, <laughs> but there was I knew what motors I wanted to use. Uh, we we'd already used them in the previous version. Basically, they were we started off with the motors from Hypershock. Hypershock we knew that Hypershock and Sawblaze had used them, so they were you know battle proven. I bought got a couple on hand, and when you when you get them in your hands, these motors are beautiful. Um, they have. Uh, a bearing on the front of the outrunner that supports the whole motor so you don't actually really have to baby these motors like you do most outrunners for heavyweights they're just face mounted there's nothing super fancy with them um they're just incredibly well built so i knew i wanted to use those motors so from there it was just a little bit of working backwards from there to get the the right kv um i knew what side it it's going through that process is uh, is very interesting um but it's it's kind of a long daisy chain effect where starting from the motor and we also knew the wheel size we wanted to use because it kind of works with uh uh the magnet setup so there's well, clover runs five inch wheels which is really really annoying because nobody makes them everybody makes four inch and six inch wheels we're running custom wheels um so start with the motor the wheel size actually dictates the maximum reduction you can have uh, without running a gearbox mm. because the, you can only fit so big of a pulley on it before your pulley is bigger than your wheel. Um, so just started with the motor, start then, then pick the wheel. Then you know the ratio that you can get from there. Uh, and then you pick the motor uh, 
kV that matches that ratio uh, that you can get for reduction. Um, that's kind of how that one works out. Got it. Follow-up question from Brandon. What tuning did you do during the season on your drive? What lessons did you learn between your fights? And how did that go into the tuning? Um, I don't think we actually changed any of the like motor tuning uh, throughout the year. Hmm. Um, the Ironically, the one motor tuning that we did was to unnerf the motors from Orlando Maker Fair. <laughs> um, I, had, hmm. uh, I had set it to about half max speed so uh so that we could play in the arena for some fun <laughs> at orlando um and i had not driven the robot since you know almost a year before that <laughs> so we had to undo all of that but throughout the season you know we didn't have to do any changes to the the tuning because we had did it the last couple of years so we know we know the settings that we like um hmm. uh Last question from Brandon. Uh, he writes, will we see Stormrider become more similar to that shape and will it come to more Full Combat 30 events? Uh, absolutely. That's the robot I'm currently working on is a new 30. So Stormrider is my 30 pounder that is basically a claw viper, just a little bit different. Hmm. Um, the early revisions of some stuff. So it's kind of a pain in the butt to work on because it doesn't have some quality of life changes. Um, but I'm building and designing a new 30 pounder that is meant to be a test platform for the heavyweight. Um, so it's got kind of four-wheel independent drive, um, kind of roughly the same shape. It'll have the bent wraparound armor that's really annoying to make, but really cool looking and really strong. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there, there's going to be a new 30-pounder coming that is a lot more suited to full combat, and Storm Rider will keep running in sportsman class. Nice. Cool. Um, Will Hahn has a simple question. Will writes, what made you decide to go for speed as your primary weapon for Claw Viper? I guess fundamentally, do you agree with Will's question? Like, is speed Claw Viper's primary weapon? Um, and if so, like, why did you choose speed uh, to, I guess, to max out speed when you were choosing your um, your attributes for, for the robot? So I don't really view speed as the primary weapon. Um, it's... Speed is what lets you apply the primary weapon. Hmm. So the primary weapon is still the lifter, right? The goal is to lift robots and use that to dictate the fight. Um, the problem is everybody's got a really good ground game. Um, hmm. So you can either try to play that game, right? In which case, um, you're always playing catch up, right? Somebody's going to have some new technology. You know, Hydra's going to weld razor blades to his, to his robot. So is everybody else. And that, you can play that game. Or I can go around to the side. Um, mm. And that sounds more fun. <laughs> uh, so I, I like doing it that way. Um, Deep Six Captain Dustin Eswine has a good question. Uh, I don't know. I, the thing I like about Dustin is that he's always asking for more, just from everything. <laughs> like, can I have more weapon? Can I have more speed? Can I have more everything, you know? Um, like uh, he's he's I guarantee you he's gonna be the the first person to strap a bomb to a to a combat <laughs> Somebody like allows it. Um, but anyway, he, he, has he asked, one mode and it's full send it. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, great. So he writes, "What will be your next step in making Claw Viper even faster, more downforce, more drive power, driver aids, or something else? Um, do you want to make it faster? And is it possible? And and what I, what would be I guess the next step for for achieving even more speed? I think we're pretty happy with the the current speed. Um, there's definitely some controllability stuff we want to work on, but we kind of accidentally happened into." Uh, 
something we have to try at some point, which is I was running a little short on spare motors for this year, but I knew that uh, Sawblaze had actually switched over to some new motor technology. So all of his old revolts, um, he wasn't using. So I actually talked to Jameson um, and bought his old revolts. <laughs> and he brought hmm. them to BattleBots for me to act as emergency spares. The problem is they're twice as fast as my motors. <laughs> hmm. um, so I technically own a set of motors I can put in the Claw Viper that makes it go twice as fast. <laughs> hmm. um, I kind of want to do it someday just to see what happens. The plan was if we had to run that to, you know, limit their speed and software to match the other motors or to be controllable. But there's something that would be absolutely hilarious about a robot going 40 miles an hour in a 48 foot box. <laughs> and that yes. would actually probably break robots. Um, there's some really funny math where, so robot clubber goes 20 miles an hour. We've grabbed robots and slammed them, you know, in the wall at full speed. Um, I think it's like 16 or 17 feet up. If you drop something, it's going 20 miles an hour when it hits the ground. So that's actually the force that Clawwiper is hitting robots into the wall with. Um, so if it actually goes 40, it's more damage than a flipper. Um, so that would be kind of cool, but I have no way that that'll, that'll just end in fire. There's no way that does not end in fire, but it'll be glorious. <laughs> Good. Um, and then we have a cheeky question, I guess, and a cheeky suggestion from Bloodsport team member Curtis Honeycutt, uh, sponsor, uh, finder extraordinaire. Uh, Curtis, his first question is, who would win in a quarter mile race, 2023 Claw Viper or a 1996 Dodge Viper? Uh, quarter mile, the Viper. Six feet, me. Okay. <laughs> Six feet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, and then he has a suggestion. Uh, maybe you get a White Claw sponsorship. It could be a good partner for uh, for the Claw Viper. Oh, the David Small floor posting meme. There, <laughs> at some point, there is going to be a White Claw arm on on this robot. I don't know if I'm going to be the one to yeah. drink them, but we're going to make that arm at some point. Good. Very good. All right. I'm going to turn you over to Lindsay, who has even more listener questions. All right. <laughs> Guess what? We have more. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Michael Wise wants to know, what is your favorite win with Claw Viper? And what is your favorite loss with Claw Viper? Um, so the favorite win is the Ribot fight from this year. Um, that that was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that fight was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, at some point in that fight, I had to like look down and see if there was a hole in the arena. <laughs> um, so I knew whether to stop the fight. You know, it's too many years of competing with small robots, not realizing that that arena is you know much safer than most of them. <laughs> um, that that fight was super super cool. Um, favorite loss? Well, all right. Uh, I'd probably say Gigabyte. Um, I learned so much from that short fight. <laughs> um steel did things i did not know steel does um <laughs> when he you know gigabyte just completely changed my perception of how to build robots at that scale um it's not maybe not the uh not for the fight itself right it wasn't super exciting the robot barely moved but it taught me the lesson of you cannot uh tank a heavyweight um which is basically, you know, intentionally taking hits and living through them. 
Uh, it just doesn't work. You can't tank Gigabyte. It does not work. You have to deflect it, right? He took a 3 8 AR500 thing and bent it like a goddamn banana. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, uh, it's going to change how I think about how to build a robot. Um, so it's really, uh, that's my favorite fight for that reason. So Helen Claudio has a follow-up uh, thinking about the future. Who do you want to face most? Uh, just coming off of Robo Games, I want to fight Manta. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's a, uh, so we kind of realized that maybe it'll change next year, but the last three years, um, the producers have given the first fight of Claw Viper, a uh, big, scary new robot. Um, huh. So hijinks, right? Very, very cool. Very scary. Big robot. Uh, was our first fight the first year. Second, first fight the second year was pardon my French, right? Gigantic drum. Um, and this year, ominous, right? Really, another cool, dangerous new robot. Um, I don't. That would be kind of cool to continue. Um, because I got a plan, and I want to see if it works, right? It's one of those ones of like, okay, people have tried a bunch of stuff. What if we try my idea? It's probably gonna gonna fail. I'm probably gonna end up like every robot at Robo Games and spread across the arena. Like, God darn it, I want to try. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, All right. So the team behind the British flipper bot Bravado, which is applying to a future season of BattleBots, wants to know, how far do you think you could have gone in Claw Viper's debut season if it had been operating at the level it currently is? I think my stupid phrase that I told them, which was uh, top four, might have been possible with this robot that year <laughs> um the, the you know i've been doing battles for like five years but you know my own robot for the last three every year the the level of competition gets ridiculously higher right it's not one percent more every year it's you know 10 20 30 50 percent every year yeah. um so i think we would have had a really good robot that that year um it's still a really good robot and we'll see how it finishes <laughs> So what's the most incorrect name you've ever had your surname misspelt or mispronounced? <laughs> <laughs> oh, a- a- every way imaginable. I-, I think my favorite one was like Mila Chavuski. I'm like, you added ah. letters and I don't know where they came from, but I got your point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least your first name is Kevin. Like, yeah. it's kind of hard to mess up that. Everybody at work calls me Kevin M. And it's like, OK, I know exactly who you're talking about. um okay this is absolutely delightful ryan hunter who runs pit control at nhrl um writes so i asked chat gpt what question to ask and here are two of my favorites so this is what our ai overlords uh want to know from you kevin Uh um how do you stay up to date with the latest trends and technologies in BattleBot design and engineering? And what advice would you give to aspiring builders? Now, these two questions seem like they should be separate, not all in one. But I guess AI will still, uh, you know, has a little ways to go. Um, those are like annoyingly good questions <laughs> from GPT. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, staying up to date is hard because people keep inventing new things. Um, I try to watch streams like the NHRL streams are so much fun to watch. I'm like, oh, NHRL is on. Well, there goes my Saturday. Um, <laughs> so doing that, uh, the other one is actually talking to Schultz, Jonathan Schultz from Huge. Um, he's always got 
good ideas about what other people are doing. <laughs> um, so it's it's hard. Like most of it's ground game stuff, which I don't like. So I just go around. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's for that one. And for aspiring builders, um, you know, kind of the common advice, but just build something. Um, you know, there there's kit bots that can get you started. They're they're great for you know a few events. Um, they're good to learn how to how to wire the darn things, right? I spent God probably like half a day with my buddy just trying to figure out how to wire a servo not through the receiver because we kept killing the receivers with too much current through the servo, right? Um, just getting there and doing it is the best, you know, how most people learn. So that's that's my advice. Just just get out and do it. So the next chat GPT question, which is also kind of incredible. Um, can you share any behind the scenes stories or interesting anecdotes from your time competing in BattleBots? And how have these experiences shaped your approach to design and engineering? So any behind the scenes stories that affect your approach? <laughs> um, you know, there actually is um, in a, in a roundabout way. Um, but the Lincoln Electric guys there, um, they are consummate ex experts, right? They are, from what I gather, they're mostly, you know, guys who, guys and gals who are uh, con not contractors, uh, consultants, right? They're, they're, they're experts. So we just sit there and talk to them. Um, and like you absorb knowledge from people and you're, they're like, yeah, don't do, don't design it this way. This is a pain in the butt to weld. Do it this way. And I'm like, oh, cool. Now I know how to make this easier to weld and stronger. Um, so those guys are so much fun to hang out with. Um, and just, you know, for somebody like me who has no background in mechanical stuff, getting access to somebody with that much experience just feels wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have to second that. So, you know, Copperhead, um, made use of the Lincoln electric electric and, um, a couple times throughout, throughout the season. And like those people work so hard and uh, like really help the competition run as smoothly as it does and, and let these bots kind of compete um, even after taking a ton of damage. So man, hats off to them because they're kind of like the silent heroes behind the scenes. Yeah. And they're funny too. And apparently giving advice. Yeah, they are so funny. There, there was, okay, here's a behind the scenes one. I won't, uh, I won't mention which bot, but there's a robot with a very well-respected builder. Uh, and I'm listening to their guy talk to them. <laughs> the Lincoln guys are like, yeah, this is designed like crap. I can't weld this. There's like, there's nowhere for me to put the <laughs> welding gun. What did you do? <laughs> I was just like, oh boy. <laughs> that that was fun. Not what you want to hear. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. So um, final questions about design, but we still have a few others after this um, from friend of the pod, Tom Farkas, who runs positively hysterical at NHRL. Um, how did you get Claw Viper to not tip on its face when lifting another bot? Um, so that is actually just the there's lifter outriggers on it. There, if you look at the front, there's two little mini claws. Um, those are set up so that they they don't backdrive. So those are outriggers like you would see on Nix or uh, La Machine, um, just much shorter. Um, and the gist of it is that the center of mass of which are the, the system has to be inside of those forks in order for me to lift. 
Um, so you see that in several fights, I try to lift and still do faceplant. Um, usually it's against verts, so I can't, it's really annoying. I can't pick up a vertical spinner from behind because their center of mass is like right behind the weapon, <laughs> which is like five feet away. <laughs> it's like, ugh. So you can't, you can't get lifter outriggers long enough without them getting destroyed. Uh, so I kind of have to rely on getting robots to ride up the arm a little bit before I can uh, actually pick it up. Um, although I have seen that I don't understand the mechanics of it yet, but I need to, where if I'm pushing somebody like at full speed and lift them, it doesn't make me faceplant while we're driving. <laughs> um, ah. So there's actually been a, like, I think I did that against Ribot, and I did it to uh, Slamo at Orlando Maker Fair. Um, where going full speed and just lift them while driving. Um, and it also can happen where um, a lot of people think that the magnets help with the lift. Um, very rarely does it actually help. Um, there's some cases where it will um, it'll make it so I don't need the forks to lift, where like you know if it was it extends it extends how far out the robot can be before it you know starts tip before the back comes up and needs the, the out, outriggers to lift. Uh, but it's not all that much. Most of the time, it's actually using lifter outriggers to counterbalance the lift. So you, you might have answered this one uh, and apologize if you did, but how much extra downforce do the magnets make? So with what we ran this year, it was somewhere between 250 and 300 pounds. Wow. We ran two different configs, uh, and they're somewhere in that range. That's I don't know incredible. the exact number. But I do know it was very not fun to pick up off the floor. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, do you have different lifter arms for different opponents? Yeah, we do. Um, we run we run the same lifter arms most of the time because we fight verticals most of the time. Um, but if we have to put on our horizontal configuration, we actually have to go back to the UHMW arms from last year to, to make weight. Um, and we've got some ideas for, and some other things already bought and assembled for uh, for different configs. Like I think uh, I think the, the picture on the website is actually our anti drum uh, top head, Ooh. which is like a giant chunk of AR. Because the idea is, how cool would it be to grab a drum by the drum and stop it? <laughs> um, yeah, so. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Um, okay, this last question from Tom is have you considered googling eyes on claw viper and then i'm gonna add an addendum to that uh in the spirit of positively hysterical have you ever thought about putting a stamper at the end of the uh grabber of claw viper and just gently stamping your opponents you know that would that might have to happen you know just uh leave a little snake was here sign on the top of every robot yeah <laughs> And hey, you know, we've been looking at adding rubber to the tip to, to add a little more grip. So if we stamp you, yeah, yeah, that might have to happen. Okay, please. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I could love Claw Viper more, but if that were to happen, like, sorry, favorite of all time. It just, that would be the truth. Now I need to Google where <laughs> to get a custom stamp made. 
I think um uh <laughs> I think Tom actually carved the one that he had on positively hysterical out himself. Um, but if you don't want to go through the trouble of doing that, I think Etsy is your friend. Or, or maybe like TPU works, like a 3D printed uh, TPU stamp. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Please uh, make it happen. Um, <laughs> all right. We have now a handful of just kind of miscellaneous questions before we wrap up the interview. But Michael from Northeast Northeastern University, go Huskies! Uh, from their combat robotics team, has a question about the name. Was Claw Viper the first name you came up with for the bot? And are there any funny first draft names that you thought of along the way? So the robot was originally going to be called Siegebreaker, um, and the idea was like put a battering ram on it. <laughs> um, ah. That one didn't go over as well as Claw Viper. Uh, it's just, you know, not as good. That, there's only been those two options, really. And ironically, they're both derived from the same third-party work. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I feel like Siegebreaker would be um, popular with, like, a very um, niche, like, subset of LARPers or, you know, D&D players or something. <laughs> Um, all right, so Thomas Allen Sampson has a good question. Where could one possibly acquire some Claw Viper merch? Um, we don't have merch per se, um, but if you ever see us at events, I always have stickers. So um, I don't, you know, if there's a lot of demand, maybe we'll set something up. But uh, it's a lot of work to run a merch store. Um, so I'm lazy. And unfortunately, actually, I bet there's probably Claw Viper shirts on the BattleBots website from them. Ah. I'd have to check. But yeah, go check probably it out. Is. Cool. Um, all right. So Regan, or Reagan, I'm sorry. I'm not sure. Bachelor has two good hypothetical questions. Um, of these three, which would you take? One, wheels that never break traction. Two, all motors or ESCs are virtually indestructible or three, your reaction time and speed of thought increases threefold, but only when you're controlling the bot. Sorry. That's amazing. I love this question. Well, you can't have tires that never break traction because then you can't turn. (laughs) Um, Ah. (laughs) Learn that one the hard way. (laughs) Um, the other two, oh, that's a hard question. You know, I think I would take the reaction times because most of the time I feel like I'm holding the robot back. Um, you know, it definitely moves faster than I can think. So being able to counter that would uh, would be a good thing. Yeah, I think I think number three is, is probably the way to go. Um, and then, like, you have the upper hand on your opponent, too, because that means that you can think three times faster than they can. That's pretty cool. We have like done daydreaming of, you know, if you have autonomous robots, they kind of all end up looking like claw vapor. Um, it <laughs> turns, it's something we're a little bit worried about is it could potentially turn the robot, turn battle bots into sumo, sumo bots. <laughs> um, if you have the automation done right, because there's then literally nothing a person can do. <laughs> um the counter you, right? <laughs> like it's just moves too fast. You can't react fast enough. So 
it'll be cool the first time. And then after that, it might become a problem. But (laughs) it would just need to be its like own league at that point. It it wouldn't be the first rule BattleBots made after me. So (laughs) it's an honor, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. So second question is, uh, let's assume you're fighting overhaul, but there's a catch. You and overhaul start the match holding another bot of your choosing in your jaws. You get first pick. Which bot do you choose? I don't know if this means that like you can release this bot and then it starts fighting like as a tribute on your behalf. No, 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 no. no. Really We're sure. going to weld it in because that's how we do with the charge. Ah, okay. Uh, I would say Endgame, but that wouldn't be fun. Um, <laughs> I'd pick Horizon because that would be hilarious. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> that would be terrifying and the weirdest thing imaginable. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good answer. Good choice. Um, Heather Stringfellow asks, how much coffee or energy drinks do you give the bot before each match? Because I'm assuming that's how the bot achieves that insane box rush. <laughs> uh, way too much, way too much. It, and it, <laughs> it, you know, it goes, it's, it eats all of the batteries and all of the coffee ever, every fight. So <laughs> it's all gone by the end. <laughs> It's, it takes every uh, builder's breakfast, lunch, and dinner meal tickets, and then uh, just trades them all in for uh, energy drinks. <laughs> uh, Heather, second question. Uh, also, how fast should you run when approached by a viper with claws? Uh, I don't think you can run fast enough. <laughs> if, yeah. if you if you can, depends how far away you see it from. See from it. <laughs> If you can run 20 miles an hour, you'll be okay. Or 21 miles an hour. All right. So I think actually Heather is a very fast runner. Um, she, I know I'm Heather. I believe that you are the, like the uh, runner hobbyist. So you might actually have a chance. Uh, the rest of us, not so much. <laughs> um, good question here from Jeremy Lloyd. Given Claw Viper's speed, why not use it to commute? And I know that you talked about having those chairs. So, I mean, there's got to be traffic in Seattle. Could this be your way around it? Uh, you know, that would. I'm just imagining the conversation with the police officer in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're doing what? <laughs> you know, there. Yeah, but then, then you just speed <laughs> away, and they can't catch exactly. you. There. It's really funny because minor uh, tangent back to real is that it's very hard to test Claw Viper because it needs a steel floor to test anything. So every time I'm like driving down the road or riding somewhere and I see one of those big steel plates that they cover trenches with, I'm like, oh, I could grab my robot and go drive on this. Oh, that'd be funny. Um, all right. This is a great question and it's very serious and hopefully, um, you know, we can all learn something from it. Nicholas Lopez has a personal finance question. If magnets could do so much to make Claw Viper have such vast improvement, should I put magnets under my bank account? You should put them under your credit card. I hear it makes your credit cards better. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I've tried that before and that 
That doesn't work. I, I have actually demagnetized my own credit cards with the stupid magnets from this robot. <laughs> oh my god. I, I got a credit card <laughs> and my bus card. <laughs> so I had to replace them both. <laughs> That's why you're afraid of the magnets. Yeah, I get stuck. You know, you can't take the bus. You're stuck there. I guess I could ride the robot home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just keep it in your backpack. It's, uh, you know, it's no big deal. Um, all right, so let's cap our interview with a series of deeply philosophical questions from Horizon team member Mary Catherine Carr. Uh, do you ever feel like you're playing Sonic the Hedgehog when driving Claw Viper? And is Claw Viper similarly fueled by chili dogs? <laughs> yes. You know, it's the same. They're both blue, right? Um Yeah. And now I'm imagining like setting up a bunch of rings around the arena and having to go collect rings. <gasps> every time you hit into a wall, they all fly off. Um. Yes, please. <laughs> Sorry. You're, these questions make my imagination go wild and like the dumb things you could do with this robot. <laughs> I was obsessed with Sonic as a kid growing up. So now I feel like this is like um, just the sweet spot of all of my interests is like battle bots and Sonic <laughs> and chili dogs. So yeah. Um, are the wheels just some sweet Sonic kicks? <laughs> Maybe I should get Nike to sponsor the robot. The, uh, oh man. It reminds me of baby feet. The, the mammoth originator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is now in the NHRL bot museum. Nice. Um, so Mary says, okay, okay, I'll stop with all the Sonic stuff, but they're both the same shade of blue, so you be the judge, listener. Hmm, I think she's on to something. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, she has two final questions. The first, I'd like to know what that sign in the battle box did to you, because it seems to have become your favorite target for stuffing other bots' weapons into. So what did that box do to you? It's crime is it has inferior magnets. It's held on to these tiny little yeah. magnets. They're not big enough. They need bigger ones. So I, I got to teach it a lesson. Is it like a joke at this point? Do they put these little tiny like Dollar Tree magnets on there just for the spectacle of it falling? It, or are they too just too afraid of uh, big magnets? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think they uh, I think they do want it to fall down because it is cool. But it got a little. Yeah. Different. It also we knock it down every fight. And like somebody comes up to us like, hey, we found one of your magnets on our robot. And I'm like, that's not one of my magnets. That's a little baby magnet. That's what it's fine. <laughs> um, okay, final question before we wrap up. Claw Viper's logo has two snakes. Will we ever see a mini bot pal for Claw Viper? Um, you know, if you ever wanted a, a little uh, tutorial on how to make a little baby snake of your own, uh, Luke from Copperhead has a great YouTube video. I think at one point, so last year we ran uh, we ran a war stop that we painted blue and we hot glued one of Luke's snakes to it as a tail. Nice. <laughs> so we've already done this. And oh, which fight was that? That might have been Bloodsport where it got annihilated. <laughs> but yes, we uh, <laughs> there's some opponents where I actually wish we had a minibot. Um, I know we're in the funny part question, question part, but... <laughs> Um, that's where I kind of got started at BattleBots was I had a bunch of very effective minibots. Like I built the, the war stops that, um, you know, Warhawk used, um, those were mine. Oh, cool. Um, and then they took the, you know, hand built 
crazy, you know, silly thing and then turn it into a machine to bill it for um, Mad Catter to use. Um, so, and then they got banned. So, <laughs> I, I, I really love minibots. I think they're a good minibots are an underutilized part of Autobots. And I want one back. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for talking with us. It has really been so great learning more. And um, I just want to mention, like, Copperhead was pitted right behind um, the Claw Viper pit table. And it was really fun just kind of uh, spying, not spying, but like just watching what you guys are up to all the time. Because as the competition progressed, I was just so in awe of what Claw Viper was doing and it was like it was just so cool to like kind of be so close to where the magic happened so um it was it was really fun you know being uh situated next to your table but uh we're rooting for you and we can't wait to see what claw viper does in the battle box again soon awesome thank you after the break we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the world. Today we're traveling to Boston where those pesky researchers at MIT are working on a robot that can comb people's hair. Combing hair is difficult because you need to apply enough force to brush out the knots and tangles, but not too much force or you'll hurt your test subject. The robot comb uses computer vision to assess how curly and tangled someone's hair is, and then uses sensors inside the comb to measure resistance in real time. They say robot combs could one day help old people and people with limited mobility. This one's pretty wholesome. Although, Luke, I don't know that you, you have a need for this particular device. I've been bald for a very long time, so uh, I feel like the solution, of course, is for everyone to be bald, you know, like... Uh... <laughs> People don't need hair. I don't know. I, it's just cosmetic, y'all. I have, um, you know, I have my 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 lucky comb, and there's no robot in the world that uh, that I would let replace it. You know, I just, I just, I I couldn't, um, I just can't part with it. Oh. oh, Chris. Oh. <sighs> Why do we give this man a platform, Lindsay? Whenever he's like on a roll, kind of saying something serious and with conviction, you just have to know that he's going to punctuate it with a pun. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, um, Lindsay, would would you would you trust a robot with your hair? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. Um. I don't know. It's uh, a little creepy. Okay. I mean, okay. Sure, I did say it's wholesome, but um, I don't know. Like, I can barely be trusted to adequately comb my hair. Um, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Uh, if I trust a robot to, you know, properly assess how tangled my hair is. Is is it creepy because they just have this this rubber hand that um, just grips the comb and starts just ripping through people's hair, and uh, just you know assessing feedback as it comes, you know about whether they're hurting people, I guess through tears and shouts, you know. Yeah, I mean it's assessing feedback as it goes. So like those first couple 
uh, brushes that it does. It's just all pain. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're like probably going full bore and then be like, oh, okay. It looks like the subject is in pain. <laughs> Gotta go a little lighter. But sometimes when you brush your hair even lighter through a knot, it hurts even more because it's just like prolonged. Um, but it's not like going through the knot. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's not like uh, necessarily better to go lighter. Hmm. Interesting. As long as they never give this thing like a Mach 3 razor, I'm good. Ugh. It's the next frontier, Chris. We're, we're going to be getting shaved and brushed by robots <laughs> in 40 years from now. Guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, like we're cattle? Like we're... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We're going to have to wear little tracking tags and like our, our little robots will come out and find us if we go wandering out into the hallway, you know, and corral us back in and, you know, bring out that, that robot brush, you know, because it's statistically time for us to, uh, to brush your hair, Lindsay. Who's funding this? Like, I know it's at MIT, but I'm sure they have all kinds of proposals and projects that they have to like big big comb yeah like <laughs> who's funding this oh, those those jerks over at big comb <laughs> yeah yeah it's probably coke coke industries or something you know they're just uh trying to uh trying to force us into their dystopian future you know well i guess we'll just have to go ahead and brush this one off <laughs> And that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode. Thank you so much, Nicole. And we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.